feeling overwhelmed by client demands and busy work? You need Client Hub to ditch the busy work and take your accounting practice to the next level with the magic of AI. Client Hub is the ultimate practice management solution built specifically for accountants and pro advisors like you. It's a single magical place where you can collaborate with your team and clients effortlessly. Client Hub's powerful AI capabilities are game changing. Client Hub can triage your inbox by summarizing email threads and automatically drafting email replies to all your common client questions. The new Magic Workflow feature will create instructions and detailed task checklists for any new client work or unusual requests that come your way. Client Hub is both amazingly powerful and yet amazingly simple. The intuitive modern interface allows your team to start using it immediately. The mobile app makes it easy for everyone, including your clients, to track tasks and communicate on the go, ensuring nothing falls through the cracks. To experience the magic of Client Hub for yourself and see how it can transform your accounting practice, head over to uqb.promo slash client hub. That is uqb.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. Welcome to the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast. I am joined by my good friend, Alicia Katz-Pollock, the original, the one and only QBO Rockstar, CEO and founder of Royal Y Solutions. And I have the privilege of collaborating with Hector Garcia, CPA, the founder of Right Tool for QuickBooks. In this episode of the unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast, we're going to talk about Converting from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online, Part 2. On the last episode, we talked about what doesn't convert, what sort of landmines to watch out for prior to converting to make sure that you're psychologically and technically prepared for the conversion process, especially if you need to have a conversation with your client about, hey, what you're going to lose in the process, not just the conversion process, but what you're going to lose in terms of functionality. Now, Alicia and I are going to do the, uh, a deep dive into, okay, what does that conversion process look like? What to watch out during the process? And we're following, just like last episode, we're following Alicia's SOP, Standard Operating Procedures, that she uses in her firm to do desktop to online conversions. So first of all, hi, Alicia, how are you? And thank you very much for sharing the SOP with us. Absolutely. Glad to be here as always. You know, this whole document is a labor of love. And originally it was just supposed to be a step one, step two, step three. But then I started putting all my notes on it of all the considerations that I came across in all the different files. And this document has just grown and grown and grown to three and a half pages of single spaced step by step and every consideration I can come up with. Yeah, there's so little, so many little nuances. On last episode, we were actually going down the list and we missed one little tiny detail, <laughs> which is the concept of the audit trail, right? So when you convert from QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online, all the transactions in terms of the creation date are actually the date that you converted. So if you have a transaction from last year and you know exactly who was the user who entered it and when they entered it, you don't get that information anymore because it's all being entered by the system. There's a system user and today's date. So you do lose your audit trail. So if you are thinking that you converted from desktop to online and then an agent 
from the IRS or state says, hey, I want to look at the audit trail, they're not really going to see anything beyond that it was created the day that you converted. So that's a really important point. We didn't mention it last time. But with that being said, let's go through the prep process in your document. So the very first point here you have, Alicia, is in terms of file size. And QuickBooks doesn't have um, doesn't use file size per se. It uses something else called targets. So what is what is a target and what is the limit in terms of target size that a QuickBooks desktop file can be converted through the conversion process? So targets are the elements of a transaction. There's a source and a target, meaning it, the transaction came from one account and went into another account. Like it came from the check register and went into the meals expense account. So that's two targets right there. And that means that every transaction has a minimum of two. And depending on how many line items, it could have dozens. If you have a really complex estimate or or a complex payroll journal entry or something like that. Now, with a QBO conversion, the current guideline right now is that the file has to be under 7, 750,000 targets. And that changes. I mean, when we started doing this, Hector and I, it was something like 350,000 targets. So they realized that they have to make it available to larger file sizes. And maybe someday this will go up again. So at the moment, as of the, this date of recording, your file, your file size has to be 7,500 targets. Now, the way that you find that is in your QuickBooks desktop by pressing the F2 key and it pops up a little information pane. And on the left-hand column about the middle is where you'll find that target number. And um, if your file that you're working on right now, it's over 750 targets, 750,000 targets, sorry. Uh, are, are you are you screwed? Uh, what, what Are there <laughs> options uh, for what you can do moving forward? That's where you have to start deciding whether you are going to import or whether you are going to start from scratch, but there is one thing that you can do, and that is use the condense utility that's up under the um, under file and then utilities and then condense. And what condense does is you pick a date before which you're willing to scrap all of the individual transaction data and just create summary transactions. And that can be really handy. You know, if you've been using the same desktop file for 10 years, do you really need all 10 years of data? You know, after listening to last week's episode, you've determined, yes, I do want to convert this data and not start over. So that's when you say, okay, well, what's a reasonable starting point? Is it three years? Is it five years? Is it seven years? What's the mi minimum amount of data that I need in order to move forward? And while you do a condense, it does ask you for some questions. Some There's some variability in terms of, as a user, how you want that condensed to go. And your notes say, choose a, choose a shorter date range if the date range that you chose wasn't enough to get you under 250,000 targets. And you also say, remove unnecessary transactions, remove audit trail, and remove unused accounts. What is that? So those are three different things. Uh, I would actually kind of need to see it to tell you exactly what everything is. I don't have it up in front of me. But one is removing the audit history completely. One is actually taking a look at the chart of accounts 
and your other lists, like your vendors list and your customer list, and if there are no transactions under them, it will skip them. Now, just as an aside, oh my God, I would love that feature in QBO to be able to take a look at a chart of accounts and if an account has never been used, to not have to drill in and look to see if it does or not, to be able to just be able to scrap them all would just be glorious. Yeah, so the unnecessary transactions from what I understand is after you do a conversion from a certain date, uh, not a conversion, sorry, a condensed from a certain date, there are some transactions that do not affect your financial statements from that day and range on. So if there's transactions from previous periods that are sitting there for, for whatever reason, QuickBooks couldn't figure out how to delete it, but it was sitting there from a, from a previous period, uh, things like uh, an open purchase order, an open sales order, which is all useful stuff uh, operationally, but if it doesn't affect your financial statements, basically you're asking QuickBooks to get rid of it during the condense. And all that stuff is going to reduce the amount of potential transactions that QuickBooks needs to transfer over, which is going to reduce the number of targets. Now, uh, cutting the audit history, the audit trail during the condensed process, that was added a couple of years ago, and it's really, really good to reduce the file size and improve the performance of QuickBooks Desktop overall. But technically, uh, that, that particular piece will not reduce the number of targets because the audit history doesn't in- increase the number of targets because the audit history doesn't come with, um, with, with, with QuickBooks Online. But I still recommend doing it, especially if you do not plan to use that condensed file as an you know, audit file. Uh, if you're u- u- using it just for the purposes of uh, converting to QuickBooks Online, if the conversion fails, you might need to go back and do some more tweaking to the file. You want the file to work uh, fast, right? So, so you can go back and try this condensed process a couple of times. Yep, absolutely. Now, the next bullet point here is uh, you need to work on single user mode. And um, it says, if the file's on a server, move it for uh, to the local C drive. So what do you mean by that? If you are in a multi-user environment and you have the file stored up on a server so that multiple people can get to it, you actually have to be back in a solo mode. So the first thing that you need to do is kick everybody out, put them in single user mode, but you also need to go to the location on your server where the file is and either pick it up and move it to your C drive or maybe just leave it in place and make a copy of it and put that on your C drive on your desktop or in your documents folder, and then use that as the source of the conversion. And it is recommended anytime you copy a file or move it from from one hard drive to another. And like Alicia said, I would copy it. Wouldn't, don't move the original file. Make a duplicate, copy it to run a rebuild. So it sort of like refreshes and defrags the file. And, and the rebuild creates another backup for you, which is, which is great. So it's it's a good... Uh, step there that you added to your SOP. Then you talk I, about running. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm actually looking at my list and I'm actually now thinking that I want to change the order of these that I would move the, make the copy and put it on my C drive first and then condense that instead of condensing the company file. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I don't think that uh, the order of, of the SOP implied that you would be making the, the, the condensing first, but I think it does make a good point is, you know, work on the C drive, which might not be optimal for your network setup, but for the, for this specific exercise for condensing, rebuilding, 
uh, sort of cleaning up in single user mode prior to the QBO conversion, that's probably the best idea. Just move it to the, the drive that's going to ultimately going to be where you're going to be copying the file from. So then you talk about running the comparison reports. These are the reports that you're going to use as a basis to evaluate the accuracy or how well that conversion went through. So you have a PNL balance sheet. You specifically say it needs to be all dates and it needs to be accrual basis. So can you give us some reasoning on that? Sure. When you run the the first thing that you want to do when you after you finish a conversion is make sure you actually had a good conversion. And the easiest way of doing that is comparing the balance sheet and the profit and loss report because you sure don't want to go through a general ledger report of every single transaction. So these work as really good summaries. So what you do is you run the balance sheet and the P&L for all dates and do it on an accrual basis, whether or not you're filing taxes on a cash basis, but accrual basis is going to include absolutely everything in its original period, in its original location. And then you go through step by step by step. Now, We're actually going to get a little ahead of ourselves because this is the last step of the conversion and we're still just in the beginning of it. But I run these reports in the beginning so that I have the PDFs at at the get-go before I start doing all of the conversion. So we'll talk about that comparison at the very end of all of this topic. And the one thing I want to add is you do want to run the all-date report for the P&L on the balance sheet. And ultimately, what you want to do is you want to compare your QuickBooks Online, the same report, accrual, all dates, P&L balance sheet. But when it doesn't match, the challenge you will have if you just have all dates is that if the error or the delta on whatever the conversion process was of your P&L and balance sheet post-conversion, it's happening on like four or five years ago, and it's really not material or important to you. Or maybe it's happening only on the current period, which you haven't even done a tax return for. That may that may matter. So one thing I would add to this is I would look at like which is the last tax return you filed. Let's say it was 2022. Then run the balance sheet for 1231 2022 and compare that as well. Because if for whatever reason your old dates doesn't match, but your 12 31, 2022 matches and you're sort of, you know, you, you know what, as long as my tax return ties and then moving forward, I can you know deal with all the, whatever changes they are. You're probably going to be in a better situation than trying to find, you know, all you know, where was the, the margin of error or the delta post-conversion. So even though, even what QuickBooks recommends officially is check both your old dates. But again, you know, what may matter the most to you is just one specific uh, time period. Now, let's get into the reasons, and I don't want to get into deep side questions on this because we could probably make a whole episode about this, but it needs to be in a cruel basis, not cash basis, okay? And and there's a specific technical reason for that. So do we want to explain that to our to our listeners? Why, is it, why does it need to be a cruel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a cruel basis is really important in this, in particular because of accounts payable and accounts receivable that even cash-based businesses still run invoices so that their customers can pay them. They may not, they may or may not run bills, but you need to have the open invoices. And that's something that we're going to do comparisons or talk about in setting up new files down the line in either um, in future episodes. But 
having that information as part of the conversion is really important. And do you have anything to add? Why else would you want to have accrual as your reporting well, basis? Well, the main underlying reason is because uh, QuickBooks Online has these special unapplied uh, cash payments income account and unapplied uh, bill payment no expense accounts. Mm-hmm. And essentially what QuickBooks does is if you may, if you re, if you receive a payment against a customer, but not necessarily a specific invoice, right? you just receive the payment willy-nilly unapplied. When you do a cash basis P&L, it shows that as income. Okay, in QuickBooks Desktop, that never happened. Instead, QuickBooks Desktop created a negative accounts receivable. Same thing with accounts payable. So QuickBooks Online changed the mechanics on how AR and AP is handled in unapplied payments on cash basis. So what that means is that it's highly likely that because the files could contain unapplied payments, that's a normal thing and normal thing in the operating process you can have an unapplied payment that you're going to apply later on that's going to have a you're going to have a delta on a, on a cash basis report so the accrual report is the only one that both desktop and and online are built or engineered to produce the same type of report just as an aside if you are looking at any of your reports on a daily basis and you do see unapplied cash payment income or bill payment unapplied bill payment the fix on it is simply take a look at your invoice dates and your payment dates or your bill dates and your payment dates. And it's a guarantee that it's there because the invoice date is after the payment date. And in some cases, like Hector was saying, that's appropriate because you took a payment as a prepayment against a future invoice with negative AR. But sometimes it's just data error. Somebody put in the date that they actually entered the transaction, not the date that it actually happened. And so you'll see those. And that's the easy fix is I just take a look at the invoice date and I edit it so that it matches the bill date and that cleans it up. Okay. All right. So at this point, we already did all the prep work, right? We're ready to do the conversion. In QuickBooks Desktop, and we do need to preface this, you need to have a Windows machine in your computer or you need to have a computer that's a Windows machine or a virtual Windows machine in your Mac or remote access to a Windows-based computer that's running QuickBooks Pro, QuickBooks Premier, QuickBooks Enterprise. Now, in this Windows version of QuickBooks Desktop, if you go into the company menu, the very last option should say export company file to QuickBooks Online. That's only in Pro, Premier, and Accounted. QuickBooks Enterprise actually does not have a simple, easy click here, here, here pathway to convert to QuickBooks Online. There's actually a little bit of a trick. It's a, it's a keyboard shortcut. What you need to do is you need to get into the F2 screen, which also works with Control 1. And by the way, that's important for you to know, because if you're working with remote desktop, sometimes the F keys don't work. So you have to use Control 1 instead of F2 to open up the product information page. So if you're in QuickBooks Enterprise, you hit Control-1 or F2, it goes into the product information page, same page that shows you a number of targets. And then inside that screen, you hit Control-BQ. So imagine QB being flipped. So Control-BQ, and then you press OK, and then the export to QuickBooks Online window pops up. So it's the same window that pops up if you were to go to company export 
QuickBooks Desktop to QuickBooks Online. But if you don't see that, then you got to go into the F2 screen and Control BQ to get into that screen. Now, when you're in that screen, you're going to have uh, two options. One is to create the QuickBooks Online f- free trial straight from this page, or, and this, this part confuses people a little bit, or you could have created the account separately. And this matters because if you're going through a reseller, for example, you want to make sure that you create it through the reseller's link, um, especially if there's a discount tied to that. Um, or maybe you've created a an account from your QuickBooks Online accountant account and you're paying in behalf of your customer. So if the account is being created through a different mechanism, you have to be very careful not to create the file from this screen in QuickBooks Desktop that's going to give you the conversion process. So you make sure you don't click on you know, get 30-day free trial or create new account. Make sure you don't click that and you look for something that says login or use existing account or select current file. And, and this box kind of changes a little bit in terms of terminology. You'll say something like, you know, do you need to create a new file? And you say, yes or no. You know, so you have to be very careful with the terminology and then pick something like, uh, yes, I already have a file. Yes, sign me in. Yes, I already have an existing login, uh, that, that sort of thing. So you got to make sure that you do click on the option that makes sense to you at the moment. If you're just creating a file you know, from the desktop process, which I doubt because you, most of the people listening to this are accounting professionals. So they're either selling people the QuickBooks uh, you know, through a reseller or something like that, or they're creating it in the QuickBooks Online accountant portal. So most accounting professionals are not going to be creating a file from this screen, okay? So then you're going to click on, yes, sign me up, and then you're going to have to log in into the existing account. And this is the part where it could also get a little bit tricky because when you log in, um, if, especially if you're an accountant, you're going to see a whole bunch of files sitting there in your accountant uh, login. And then maybe you have to scroll the way down to find the specific file that that that, uh, that, that you have uh, or because you've maybe never logged in through QuickBooks online via this specific computer. Uh, you might not have like sort of like the cookies uh, set up, you know, where it just recognize your login. So you may have to go through the whole, uh, you know, dual factor authentication. So I see a lot of people sort of trip up when, when they're trying to get existing, logging into an existing account, and they end up giving up and create a new account. And then they go back and go, wait, you know, why do I have duplicate accounts? Alicia, what kind of experience have you had in this area? Yeah, one of the things that I actually do is I always create it first, whether it's through my wholesale program or through a reseller, so that we have a file that's up and running. And I usually will log into it and add the business owner user first, even before we do the migration. Then when I'm doing the migration and you get to the step where it asks, who do you want to log, what's the login for the file? I actually usually use the business owner's login. And that is just one extra step for me to make sure that I'm not accidentally applying the file to another one in my account because I have a lot of different logins and a lot of different domains. And it's just much more streamlined to be able to go to the one email address that they have. And 
my business owners really like the fact for some of them, this isn't their first QBO file. And I encourage them to use the same email address for both of them. I mean, if it's a separate company, that's a completely separate company. We'll do two different logins for the two of them. And I'll teach them to open them up in two different windows, like an incognito window or multiple Chrome profiles. But most of the time they prefer to be able to use the same email address that is their existing QuickBooks desktop user account. And if they have any other QBO accounts, and then that way it's all again in one domain and they can easily toggle back and forth between their files. Right. Relay is the small business bank designed for accountants. As a QuickBooks expert, you know reliable connectivity and detailed transaction data saves tons of time when reconciling. Relay provides direct bank feeds to QuickBooks Online so you avoid endless reconnecting and testing. And their feeds include check images, memos, and clean vendor categorization, so no more chasing clients for clarity. Beyond reconciliation, Relay makes managing clients' day-to-day bookkeeping a breeze. Relay offers up to 20 dedicated accounts for things like operating expenses, payroll, and taxes, including 50 physical or virtual Visa debit cards, with bill pay, domestic, and international wires built in, and their accounts payable features that let you review, approve, and pay client bills, Relay completes your accounting tech stack. Relay offers accountants a dedicated account manager, 24-7 support, and your own sign-in credentials to safely and securely access your clients' accounts. To learn more about using Relay for your firm and clients, head over to uqb.promo slash Relay. That is uqb.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. One thing worth mentioning is if you, once you log in, if you see multiple files in there, if you click on any of the current company files that are there and the files less than 60 days old, QuickBooks will actually override whatever's in that file uh, with the, what you have done post-conversion. So if you pick the wrong one, you could completely get rid of your, you know, the data that's in there. And if you pick on the right one and you had, for whatever reason, created a file and maybe started working on the chart of accounts or something like that and then did the conversion, just keep in mind that this is deleting everything that you have done, like basically clean slate. Okay, so just keep keep that in mind because that, that part people um, forget about um, uh, often. Okay, and then and then you just go through the motions. You 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 click on all. You know, yes, continue. Yes, continue. Uh, the only um, kind of weird question you might have in the in the process is it will ask you if there is an inventory, and we talked about it in in part one. But is there is there inventory? What's the inventory conversion uh, date for FIFO? And then you you do have to pick that, and then and then it goes to the process. And in my experience. This takes really um, what uh, an hour for the most part. Even even the biggest files. I mean, it's so quick nowadays. Yeah, sometimes it's only just a few minutes. I'm generally finding that it's taking longer now than it used to, and I think that's because there's so many more things that do convert now than what did convert. So you want to give yourself a window of a comfort zone of at least twenty to forty minutes. And when the conversion is done, you're going to be really tempted all along the way to log in and check and log in and check and log in and check. And it used to let you log in and there wouldn't be anything there. Now it doesn't even let you log in while it's in the converting process. So you can sit there and keep clicking if you want to, or just keep an eye out on your email because they will send you an email when the conversion is done. Exactly. 
And I do, I do see in your notes something that's very, it will be very difficult to explain because it, that's more graphical than, than verbal. But there's a special link that you can go and you can upload your QuickBooks desktop file to, which is, a, is an entirely different experience than actually logging into QuickBooks desktop and going through this process. So we'll put a link to that in the, um, in, in the show notes. My question to you, because I have never used that, that link, Alicia, have you actually gone through a conversion with that link? I've actually used that link more often than not these days because I know for a fact I'm going to get the, the smoothest experience. So if you go into QBO's help files, they'll actually point you to it. And what it is is an emulator of a desktop machine, and you just drop your file into the emulator, and it'll ask you for the login, and boom, it just does it for you. And I, you know, I don't know if I'm assuming, and that's going to get me into trouble, but I would like to think that this would always be the latest and greatest conversion technology. And so I use it all the time. Um, and I've had a really smooth process with it. I think the interface is a little tricky, like knowing what to click on. It's definitely more technical, but it gives me a, a sense of security to use it that way, for sure. And, and if you don't have any QuickBooks desktop, like if you don't actually, like I know a lot of people that are just strictly QuickBooks online people, and then they ran into this situation where they had to, convert a particular file or something like that a particular client and they don't they have a mac or they don't even have quickbooks desktop installed um you have to you're going to have to use this conversion like you're going to have to use this alternate tool it looks like Uh, otherwise you know there really isn't another process if you don't have quickbooks installed in a computer that you're manipulating and going through all the steps you're going to have to go through this sort of virtual um desktop And, and and again the, the tools and capabilities are the same. So if you are in your own QuickBooks desktop, if you're going through the conversion process and you convert and then your reports don't match, it's not like if you go through this tool, you're going to convert and the reports will match. I mean, it's the same exact uh, tool. It's the exact same utility. It's just that um, because you're running in this virtual environment that QuickBooks or, or the Intuit created, the only thing that's installed there is QuickBooks. So like there's not potential conflicts or something else an antivirus or something in your computer that could be like sort of stopping you from completing the conversion. So it's a really important point because I get tons of emails from people that say, that come to me and say, Hector, I converted that stuff to online. The numbers don't line up. I want to hire you to do the conversion. It's like, well, it's, it's likely that I'm going to press the exact same buttons and we're going to get to the exact same result. So that's the challenge that there really isn't a, a tool per se that's like a pro tool or a better tool QuickBooks gives you one tool, and it's 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 typically just you know uh, do it and pray, see see what happens, type of thing. <laughs> well, I want to um, yeah. I want to reiterate that the use of this separate website is going to become increasingly important as QB Desktop gets phased out. Once your QuickBooks Desktop subscription expires and you want to do the migration after the fact, this tool is your salvation because then you don't have to subscribe just to open it up and get, do the conversion. Exactly. Okay. So, let, so uh, as of now, we we've talked about the entire process. All you have to do is you're going to have to wait for the email that says your file's ready. So once you get the email that says you're ready to go, you're going to go ahead and open your uh, QuickBooks Online, and the very first thing you're going to do is you're going to compare your reports. So walk us through, Alicia, 
what do we do now? Well, we, we're going to compare reports and what if something doesn't, doesn't add up? Like what exactly are we going to do now? This is what we had started talking about earlier when we were talking about running the P&L and the balance sheet for all dates and accrual basis. And now some of the differences that you are going to see. First of all, if you're not using account numbers, your accounts are going to be in alphabetical order within each of their types. So if you have multiple income categories, for example, they might be in a different order. So that's just you know, keep an eye on which account you're actually comparing, that they're not going to be in the same order. They're not going to be far away from each other, but you, you, know, you can't just go down the list. You have to go section by section. I just want to add something to that. Um, so QuickBooks Desktop actually has the ability to manually override the order of the accounts by literally clicking and dragging inside of the chart of accounts and then QuickBooks has this like internal number that you don't see that tracks the order. And QuickBooks Online doesn't have such a thing. QuickBooks Online will always do alphabetical in the absence of account numbers, as, as Alicia said. But when there are account numbers, then it will only follow the order of account numbers. So regardless of what order you have overwritten your QuickBooks desktop, it will be reordered either by account numbers and or by alphabetical order. So I wanted to add that little note there because that gets a little quirky. And this is a feature you don't have in QuickBooks Online. You cannot manually choose where to put the accounts unless you're open to change moving account numbers around. That therefore, then it's a moot, it's a moot comment, right? Because if you could just change the account numbers, you could literally rechange the order of the accounts. Yeah. The next thing to take a look at is if you are using inventory, there's a change in the calculation. Now, we actually discussed this in the previous episode, so I don't want to beat a dead horse about it. But QuickBooks Desktop uses average cost inventory and QBO uses FIFO, first in, first out. And that means that they have a different internal calculation when it's looking at all your historic transactions. And so I, if you are running inventory, there will almost definitely be a difference in your both your balance sheet and your P&L. The balance sheet is going to have a different inventory asset number and the cost of goods is going to have a different or the, the P&L is going to have a different cost of goods number and they should be offset by the same dollar amount. They're just going to show in different places on each of the two reports. And you want to add something to this? Because the inventory is kind of uh, my baby, something yeah, I've been dealing it. with for a very long time. If so, so we can always go back and blame it. Oh, okay, it's a difference between average cost and FIFO, and we can always use that as an excuse. But in, in reality, in the real world, uh, a business owner wants to trust their inventory value. They want to trust the valuation. So what they must do is, even though the initial workflow of this is, hey, print your P&L, print your balance sheet, all dates accrual basis, and that's it. That's all you need to verify. If inventory is important to you, you are going to have to print your inventory evaluation report from, from QuickBooks desktop. You're going to have to. And most likely for you know the last official date, right? 1231, 2022 or whatever. Then you're going to have to run on top of the PL and balance sheet, run the valuation report in QuickBooks Online after you convert it. And you're going to have to do, go product by product and see if any particular items are now undervalued and overvalued. If you find the items that are, you're going to have to make a decision. Is this material? Does it matter? Does it not matter? 
And if they are undervalued or overvalued, you literally have to, on the day after conversion, so let's say you, you converted with the official um, transition date for 12-31-2022, day after conversion, you have to sell them all to get them all your, off your inventory. So you have to make like a dummy invoice, sell them all, get them off your inventory, and then buy them again with a bill at the correct price. So they so they basically get rewritten into your books with the correct value because QuickBooks Online does not have an inventory valuation adjustment screen. You cannot change the valuation of, of any item in QuickBooks. You can, you can change the quantity, but not the valuation. So by selling them all, you get them off. By, by buying them all, you get them back in. Now, the problem is that both of those transactions are going to create an income that doesn't, doesn't exist, right? And then, a, and then a cost that doesn't exist. So you have to take a look at the effect of that and then reverse it through a journal entry. And then b- by doing that, you're going to have essentially a difference now um, in your, in, in, there's going to be a difference there. And that difference is going to be the one that's essentially going to reverse the adjustment that you made on 12-31-2022 for this example, because you had made a temporary adjustment to make your inventory uh, uh, inventory asset account higher or lower. You had f- kind of forced an adjustment in there. And then this new transaction that you're making in the current period, that's that's going to naturally going to reverse that. So the error in your valuation is going to be fixed in the current period by making this adjustment. Is it really the only way to go about it? Um, so you can have a clean moving forward valuation for that particular article. And then when you want to know the, you know, the, the profitability per item as you sell it, it's at the valuation that you want, which we're making the assumption is the one that you trust that came from QuickBooks Desktop at the end of that period. This episode of the Unofficial QuickBooks Accountants Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. ClientHub is workflow software for taking your accounting firm to the next level. ClientHub is both amazingly powerful yet amazingly simple. With tax season in full swing, you need tools to work efficiently, keep clients happy, and keep your firm running smoothly. ClientHub helps you manage your firm's workflow, track time, triage email, get e-signatures, and more. ClientHub has AI built in that saves tons of time. ClientHub can automatically draft email replies to common client questions, and the new Magic Workflow creates detailed task checklists and instructions for any new client work or unusual requests. Beyond the amazing AI, ClientHub's seamless client collaboration makes it easy to resolve QuickBooks uncategorized transactions. The simple modern interface means you and your team can start using ClientHub in no time. And with mobile apps, tracking tasks and communicate with clients is easy for everyone on your team. It's even easy for clients too. To start your free trial of ClientHub's amazingly powerful yet amazingly simple workflows, head over to uqb.promo slash ClientHub. That is uqb.promo forward slash C-L-I-E-N-T-H-U-B. I really like your suggestion to sell them, buy them, and then reverse the adjustments on that. Everybody's inclination is just to go ahead and make a journal entry, readjusting the starting inventory balance just to true up the two reports. But that doesn't help because every time you move forward, you're not going to get the same calculations that you had before. Now, I have some clients who just let it be what it is. They It's acceptable in their brain for the differences between the, the inventory asset and the cost of goods. But 
you do actually need to file a form with the IRS, Form 3115, in order to let them know that you've changed your inventory cost basis because your comparative reports and your history over the life of your company now is going to have different sales numbers because of the difference in the valuation. Yeah, and I'll give you some 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 logical reasoning from the IRS and, and why the IRS is asking you to report this is because uh, companies used to game the valuation methods, FIFO, LIFO, in order to change the profitability of a particular year, Ooh. sometimes, you know, for the stock market, so the stock can go up. And for tax purposes, you could do the opposite too, right? You, so you can could, you could, you mock with your valuation methods to get a more profitable or less profitable year that could essentially be used to uh, avoid tax. So what the IRS wants to do is just create a little layer of, of, um, of, uh, of, uh, just create a little bit of friction, a little bit of friction (laughs) by making you send a form that says, I'm asking you permission to change my valuation method. And the IRS would definitely have a history of every single time you requested that change. And if they deem that you're changing it way too often, they could go back and, and, uh, and deny it. Okay. So typically most changes like that, like changing from cash to accrual and maybe back to cash or changing valuation methods. The IRS typically wants to see at least five years before you want to uh, request another change. Now, in, in the small business world, these type of changes really happen because of like a software conversion change. Like most small business owners are not too worried about making these changes unless it's the software that's forcing them to do this. The larger companies, different story. But companies under $25 million in sales, the only reason they're changing inventory valuation method is because the software is forcing them to do that. Okay. Now, I have a question for you. In my notes, I have, you may need to file Form 3115. Is it a need to or is it a have to? Um, you have to. The, but the reality is that a, a company that's like under a million dollars in sales, I've, which is the vast majority of my clients that have been audited, I have never had an auditor actually ask me for his the, internal historical notes on valuation methods of inventory. They just b- basically trust that the accounting system is doing whatever it's doing. The IRS ends up lo- just looking at your purchases, looking at your ending inventory balances, looking at your beginning. And as long as that's within range, they generally don't audit like invoice by invoice to make sure that every single invoice is posting the correct cost of goods sold. So and generally, I'm saying, and and generally, the shift from average to FIFO, it's it's so immaterial, and that's probably the, the issue. It's so immaterial in terms of what the net income is, and since most audits are three years worth, you know, maybe one year you'll see a little a little a little change, a little shift, but then as you normalize it in two two or three years then it's, it becomes really immaterial very often. So that's really the reason why. So is that does that mean the answer is it depends? Like if they're under a no, million dollars? it's required. It, so do it no, do it no answer, matter what. But if you're under a million dollars, the valuation change is probably going to be so minimal that it's not material. Right. The answer is it is required. But just like when people say, if you find a $100 bill on the floor, you're supposed to report it, right? That you found money and and, and pay taxes on that, but nobody ever does it. That's that's what <laughs> I think. That's what people mean by you may need to. Is it's just very difficult to enforce. That's the reality. It's very very hard 
uh, very hard to enforce, but you have to. It, it's, it's, it is part of the rules. Okay. And one more thing that I want to mention it, during this conversion process, if you're using QuickBooks for Mac and you're using inventory, the conversion tool does not actually work. You actually have to convert your QuickBooks for Mac to QuickBooks for a PC first and then do the migration in order to maintain your inventory from QuickBooks for Mac to online. Uh, Alicia, I, I don't use QuickBooks for Mac at all. Uh, well, I mean, I have it installed in my computer, but I don't use it per se. Is there like does QuickBooks for Mac actually convert? Like it actually converts to to QuickBooks desktop now? Is that is that a thing? Yeah, QuickBooks for Mac has the same company menu drop down. Do the conversion that desktop has. It's just this oh, one thing does not work. Oh, okay, very perfect. And then that brings us back around to continuing down that comparison between the the balance sheet and P&L between the two files. So this is where you have to go and look and see if there's any other differences. Find out what changed. There's, I usually, I rarely find any other discrepancies. Mostly it's user error that they're in a different order. And so what was up above at the top is now down below. And you have to sit there with a ruler and make sure that you're going line by line by line. But I personally haven't had any other differences between the two. I have had some times when the migration fails because if you have um, either bad data or a bug in the system, um, wait a minute, we actually skipped a step, Hector. We skipped a step about actually running the, um, the, well, we talked about doing the utilities in the rebuild, but we didn't really emphasize on this. So we mentioned that you go up to utilities and you do the rebuild, but sometimes you actually have to do that rebuild three or four times that it finds an error and then you it fixes it and then it finds more errors and it fixes it and it finds more errors and it fixes it. So by the time that you get to this auditing step of comparing the two, you should be good to go. You're right. You, we, we kind of brushed off that you have to rebuild only because you move the file over. But sometimes it, it, it QuickBooks will tell you, hey, I couldn't convert, run a rebuild. So you the rebuild is something you have to do to make sure that there's no database errors prior to doing um, a conversion. And, and, and what's what's fine about not, not mentioning it earlier is because generally we don't really think about that until we actually get the error saying right. that there was <laughs> a that there was a, an issue converting the file. Yep. Okay. So so we went and we made uh, journal entries to adjust any differences between the P&L and the balance sheet, or we accepted because of materiality or whatever the difference is. Now, um, what's the next step? Well, so now our conversion is done. So if we want to just use this episode to talk about conversions, then you have, you give, put your, you know, give yourself a pat on the back and give your client a high five, and you have now successfully migrated your data and you're up and running in QBO. Perfect. Okay. So we'll close the episode with that, Alicia, and we're going to record part three, where we talk about post-conversion, where are all the things we need to do to now get up and running and operationally. Uh, really quick before we close out, Alicia, anything interesting going on with your world? Yeah, I am delighted to announce that I am going to be the 2024 host of QB Talks on Insightful Accountant. And so on February 17th will be my debut. We're going to be taking a look at QuickBooks Time and how it's now integrated into um, into 
it's no longer T-Sheets. It's now in QBO. And so I'm really looking forward to starting to engage with Insightful Accountant. And I guess we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes somewhere. Okay, excellent. And how about you, Hector? Okay. What's going on in your world? Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned maybe last year at some point that I got rid of my tax practice. So one of my partners said, I'll take over taxes. So this is the first year that I can I feel like a breathe. I don't have this tax looming deadlines on top of me anymore. You know, I still have to respond to a couple of questions here. They're saying, hey, this client last year did this and did that. What do you think? You know, how should we manage it moving forward? But I'm not, no longer preparing 500 plus tax <laughs> returns every year like I was doing. So that has taken a little bit of weight off my shoulders. And I've been able to concentrate a little bit more to put uh, some effort back into just the cash practice, the, the um, monthly accounting and bookkeeping practice. And um, and now I'm putting this this new effort in my conference. So I have a conference in October in Miami called Reframe, Reframe 2024. The theme is Influential Conversations for Accountants. And if you want to attend the conference, you definitely want to check out reframe2024.com and sign up prior to the end of February to get the the $400 off on uh, coupon code or sign up if you're listening to this in March before the end of March to get $200 off in uh, early bird coupon code. And then all the tickets after April will be full price at $1,800. But um, we committed to having 200 rooms to the hotel. So this is a 200 person cap conference. We have up to date and we're recording this at the beginning of February. Uh, we have 70 people that have paid for the tickets 100%. We have another 30 something, 39 on deposit that are will probably be paying for the full tickets through this week. And we have about 50 people already booked their hotel. So the conference is very much happening and we're very much excited about that. So that's probably the thing that's occupying most of my brain nowadays. Well, I better go get my pre-sale tickets myself and get that discount. Looking forward to seeing you. Well, Alicia, um, thank you very much. And we'll see you in part three of Desktop uh, to Online Conversions. We'll see you on the next one. See you in the next one. This podcast is independently operated and is not affiliated with or endorsed by QuickBooks or Intuit Inc. Any reference to Intuit and QuickBooks products are made solely for the purpose of discussing the topics related to the company and its software.